Would you pray with me? We head into this. Lord, thank you again for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you hold history in your hands and you are bringing it to its completion. Lord, I thank you that your heart is to call people to repentance. And I thank you for each one who's here today and who's maybe watching online who has responded to that call to come to the cross and to receive your salvation. And Lord, this morning we make that the, the focus again of our hearts, the greatness of your love for us, what you went through on the cross for us. We celebrate that at this table, and we celebrate that in this word that you are calling people to repentance. Lord, would you guide our thoughts and our hearts as we would study your word this morning in your name. Amen. Amen. Two years ago, I was in uh, the emergency room with my grandma. She was elderly, and she had fallen and broken her hip. It was the same hip she'd broken a few years prior. And the doctor came to show me the x-ray. And uh, you can go to the next slide, Kyle, and, and you could see this isn't the exact x-ray, but it was something like this. These pins are intact and working properly. But you could see in the x-ray the doctor was showing me the pins from her previous break had, had, weren't in the right spot anymore because of her fall. They were actually digging through into the flesh of her hip. And it was, it was pretty intense looking, actually. It was pretty, pretty brutal. It was almost like those were kind of pushing through even further past the point they should be in and into the flesh of, of the hip. But thankfully and amazingly, she was in very little pain um, and the doctor, very compassionately, very tenderly, told us that because of her age and, and the morphine she'd need to be on to keep the pain at bay and whatnot, the medication and et cetera, she'd likely be gone within a week. And she was. She was gone within the week. We couldn't see the true picture of what was happening in her just by looking at her. But the x-ray vividly displayed the problem for us, quite dramatically, really. It told us what was happening inside, right, just under the skin and just, uh, just under the bones and under the muscles. And I say that to illustrate this point, that we need a spiritual x-ray to see the effects of evil in our world. And Revelation 8 and 9 point out the dangers of toying with idolatry. They show us the spiritual torment that happens under the surface for those without Jesus. And the story of my grandma with the pins, Rowan always asks, which hip was it that she broke? I'm trying to remember. It illustrates another point. Most of the Bible is very clear and very accessible, but there are passages like this, like much of Revelation, where it's not immediately clear what is happening. I mean, today's passage has demon locusts, right? It's great, awesome, brilliant passage. If, you know, if you, if you were here and you, you've never come to Christ, you've never been in church, you'd be like, what on earth are we, what is this place? What are they talking about, right? What's that about? And likewise, in that moment with Grandma, there was details in the x-ray that I didn't understand in full. I mean, I couldn't have named the scientific names for the bones. I couldn't have explained what muscles or tissue precisely was going on. I probably couldn't even tell you what side of the body it was, per se. There is details here in this passage as well 
that are mysterious to us. But the main concern in my grandma's x-ray was very clear. The pins were not right. (laughs) The broken hip and the broken pins were a danger, and it was very clear what that was going to mean for her in about a week's time. And in the same way, the main concern of this passage is really clear. The trumpet judgments focus on those who refuse to follow the Lamb and who continue in unrepentant idolatry and evil. There's some details here that are difficult to discern, that lots of people have tried to discern in different ways, and I'm not going to go through all of that this morning because I want to focus on the main clear point of this passage is that it shows us what's going on under the surface of those who don't know Jesus and gives us a pretty stark picture of what that suffering is like. It also gives us a picture of God's heart trying to call people into repentance. And you can see that, if you go to the next slide, Kyle, I think I've got that there. I don't understand all the little details in the hip x-ray, but I can understand the main point, right? In the same way, the main point is very clear for the trumpets as well. Sometimes uh, we can be enamored with those who don't follow Jesus. It can happen whenever we're tempted by success or we're we're tempted by wealth or we're, you know, we're sort of tempted by promiscuity of some kind. Or we, we envy a lifestyle that's fun, but it's ultimately self-destructive. In fact, I've heard Christians talk sometimes about all the stuff I've given up for Jesus, right? There's all, as though we've done, we've done him some huge favor. And, and all the while, we're, we're envied by those who aren't burdened by such a lifestyle change for God, right? Look at those people. They get to do whatever they want. But we should not be deceived. The trumpets here show us that to live without Jesus is really a torment. It may not look like it on the outside. Just like my grandma, you couldn't quite see what all was wrong just by looking at her on the outside. But once you saw within, it was very clear that all was not well. And it's the same with us, folks. The consequences of our sin are not always immediately obvious. But under the surface, our sin destroys us. And the call of this passage is to awaken us uh, out of idolatry and to awaken us into a fresh discovery again of God's mercy. Uh, that's really the heartbeat of the scripture. Now, I want to talk a little bit about uh, interpretation. So if you go to the next slide, Kyle, and then I think the next one. There you go. We've talked a little bit about symbolic language. Um, in this series, we've really tried, or I've tried, to attend to Revelation's historical context to its literary genre, uh, the way the vision picks up and echoes lots of Old Testament themes. We've talked about that. Um, To explore this whole idea of how God is bringing uh, the project, his creation project, to its consummation. He's going to deal with evil and injustice. He's going to rescue those that believe in him, etc. And that approach insists that Revelation meant something to its original audience, that they didn't just sort of tack it on the end of the Bible because they thought, well, we might as well keep it there. We don't really know what to do with it. We don't understand it, but we're just going to leave it there. No, it meant something to them. They understood some of what was going on. And that's important to keep in mind that we realize this meant something to the original hearers and is not just sort of a jigsaw puzzle for modern interpreters to sort of solve in order to predict when Jesus returns. Um, There's an approach that's paved with with very good intentions to try and give it an over-literalistic 
explanation of every detail. Lots of you will, might remember Hal Lindsey's uh, 1969 Late Great Planet Earth uh, was a big deal at the time. And that was Hal's approach, was every, every little detail he would give sort of an over-literalistic explanation of it. So the demon locusts were attack helicopters, right? And, and, and that approach carries on. So whenever, whenever any sort of weapons created that's named after a scorpion or named after a locust, it's, well, it's the end of the world, right? Or, the, you know, drones come out, and it's like, okay, now those are the locusts, right? And, and so on and so forth. And that kind of reading is, can be well-motivated, but it often ignores the literary genre in an attempt to sort of read Revelation in one hand and then hold your newspaper in the other for the point of trying to sort of parse out what certain things are meant to be. And we got to remember, the first church, the first Christians, this had value for them. And John has told us several times, the book is full of symbolism. Sometimes we're told what the symbols mean, right? So we're told early on, the lampstands are the churches. Lampstands don't look like churches, but lampstands are the churches. In the same way, Jesus is the lamb, right? Jesus is not a four-legged animal, Jesus is a human being, if you didn't know, right? He's not actually a lamb. But the lamb is a symbolic picture that illustrates the truth of his atoning sacrifice for our sins, which is picking up all the Old Testament imagery. And so it can communicate truth, but not, is not necessarily a literal description of what's to come, sort of a one-to-one substitution. And that's not unusual. If you go to the next slide, Kyle. Um, we use this sort of language all the time in today's world. So here's a sports headline I read last week. Raptors ready to find another hidden draft gem. What's this mean? Right? Does it mean dinosaurs are trying to go mining to find a windy piece of jewelry? No. We all know it doesn't mean that. What's it mean? Go to the next slide, pal. Right? So the over-literalistic interpretation would be something like this. Dinosaurs are going mining. What's it actually mean? Somebody say something. Come on. Is that what it means? No, it's about a basketball team picking up new players, right? Okay, go to the next one. Seven NHL teams that could weaponize their cap space. Oh, my goodness. The hockey teams are carrying guns under their helmets now. That's what that means. It's not what it means. We all know that's not what it means, right? Go to the next slide. Right? No, the smuggling. It's, the war is going to cut. War starting. Well, in a sense, on the ice, maybe, right? And we would even say that, and we would all know that. We would all laugh and that go, yeah, it's a battle out there, right? But we all know that's not exactly what that means, right? What does that actually mean? It's talking about, well, I don't even totally understand, because I'm not, I don't even know. It's something about salaries and using the salary cap for, I don't even understand. It's, it's I, guess, I don't even, I don't even get it. It's more confusing to me than a lot of this stuff, right? But I know it doesn't mean smuggling guns. I, I, you know, I know that. Go to the next slide, Kyle. Right? So the symbolic language is not strange. It has a way of helping us engage with the truth with our hearts and imaginations and, and prompts, us, prompts us to faith. And you can go to the next one as well. So symbolic language is, is used throughout. And the next, the next one, right, is, the other way is, is the sevens are not necessarily meant to be read in chronological order, meaning that each, well, there's 21 sort of judgments. In fact, each of the sevens, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, each of the sevens ends with the same sort of conclusion. Um, in the sixth seal, all the stars fall out of the sky, and now we have stars again in the trumpet section, right? 
And so it's like, oh, okay, we've gone back and we're repeating the same section. Um, and mo lots would say we're seeing the same sort of period of Christ's ascension to his return from three different angles. In fact, a great picture of it is, is almost like John's in, a, in an airplane, and he's circling the same period of history, and each time he can, you can see it from different sides, right? And he's making various points about, about various issues that are coming up in the world as you go. Three different angles. Remember, the, the, visions are the, the, the visions are the order in which he sees the visions. The sequence is the order he sees the visions. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a definitive temporal sequence. Though many interpret it that way, and that's fine too. Now, the third thing I want to say is we want to read what is unclear through what is clear. And so often we do it the other way around. We'll try and read what's clear according to what is unclear. And in this case, I really want to draw our attention to the intro and to the conclusion because they are very clear, even if the exact nature of the trumpets is not super clear to us. And we could go through and, and try and imagine all sorts of things. I remember when the mountain falling into the sea was an atomic bomb or it was a meteor or it was the latest whatever you know, someone built a big ship, and now it's the thing falling in. And we can play that game all day, but it doesn't really actually get you very far because it's not really the point to sit and just speculate about what the stuff means. So let's read what's unclear through what's clear. And what's super clear is actually the intro and the conclusion. So look at, look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence from what? Silence from the continual worship, right, that's been going on. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So the judgments are prepped, but then what happens before they even sound their trumpets? Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth, and there was peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. The worship pauses, and it's almost like God is leaning forward, right? It's almost like he's listening. You go to the next slide, Kyle. It's almost like he's leaning forward listening. Listening for what? He's listening for the prayers of the saints. And sometimes, folks, our prayers can feel really feeble and really small. Sometimes we use the language of it feels like they don't go past the ceiling, right? They may seem insufficient, and sometimes they are. But our prayers are combined with the fire of God's purposes, who then responds by pouring them back on the earth. And when our prayers are in alignment with God's will and character, together they set in motion God's purposes in the world. And so the intro is showing us the priority of prayer. You can go to the next slide, Kyle. The priority of prayer in heaven, that God is listening. And you can think of the seven churches, and we talked about this when we went through the letters, are facing tremendous persecution, issues from Rome, false teaching, apathy within. And in the midst of all of that struggle, they're being reminded God is still listening to our prayers. And folks, in the midst of the struggles of today, God is still listening to our prayers. The big one in our mind is COVID. We hear about it all the time, probably more than we really need to. But there's other issues as well that we're facing. 
And in the midst of that, you may feel my prayers don't feel like they get very far. Revelation says, God pauses to hear your prayers. He hears those. The trumpets that follow then are warnings to the world of God's coming wrath. But notice they're actually set in motion by the ordinary prayers of ordinary people. Isn't that interesting? More potent and more powerful than all the dark powers are the prayers of the saints and the fire of God. And so we should be asking, well, what are we praying for? If prayer is so powerful and such a priority in heaven, what are you and I praying for? Do we make prayer a central part of our lives, both individually and in our practice as a church family, right? The trumpets are blown as the prayers are heard by God and God's people. You and I play a role in bringing God's purposes to pass. That's what the introduction tells us. What's the conclusion tell us? You can go ahead, I think, a few slides to Revelation 9. The, the conclusion, let me read to you the, the end again. Revelation 9, chapter 20, verse, uh, sorry, verse 20 to 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, so often the prophets talk about that, right? You become like what you worship. And when you don't worship the living God, you worship something that's dead, and when you worship something that's dead, you start to die. You're becoming like the thing you worship. They cannot see or hear or walk, and neither can these people anymore. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So the trumpets are warnings of God calling people to repent, and the people instead cling to their idolatry and, the, and evil. And there's a pretty stark warning there for us, right? If we don't give our lives... God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you are worshiping a false God, period. And that idolatry will consume you like a locust. And so through the turmoil of the trumpets, God is working to answer the prayers of his people and also call the nations to repentance. And the trumpets themselves actually echo the Exodus plagues quite a bit, right? Like Pharaoh in Egypt, which is great, we just did Exodus, people resist God. And the plagues, which covered every sphere of life in the same way the trumpets do as well, they're proclaiming God's sovereignty. He alone is Lord of all, and we need to get rid of our other gods and come to him. And the point, the idea, again, is this. You can't just add Jesus into your life and say, I'm good while I sort of do this other thing over here that is totally in contradiction to what God would call me to. I can't just carry on with my life and my sin and my idolatry and just say, well, I believe in Jesus. I'm just going to kind of plug him in right here to this part of my life, and now I'm good. But I'm going to ignore him most of the time and just do whatever I want. It doesn't work that way. Either Jesus is Lord of your life or he's not. And the call here is for him to be the Lord. So we get things like the undrinkable water, right? Which is similar to the Nile turning to blood. We've got the darkness, very similar also to Egypt. 
Stars are still in the sky. Again, we had st- all the stars fall out in, re- in, in the sixth seal earlier. So again, I'm, the repeating pattern's happening. The last three trumpets are escalating judgments on rebellious humanity, right? And they talk about the woes. So the fifth trumpet shows this increase in demonic activity. And we get to a bottomless pit with a horde of, you know, kind of locust demons are unleashed. And that echoes Exodus 10, but it's also an echo of how the seal sequence ends, which ended with the great day of the Lord, right? And here we are again. This is Joel 2, great day of the Lord language happening. And I doubt that John imagines a literal bottomless pit opening. You know, it's, it's somewhere, I don't, you know, where is it? It's in Azerbaijan, you know, just sorry. It just opens up, right? There, there it is. Um, the image describes how God, this is the place where God holds down demonic forces, keep them at bay. You remember when, when, when uh, the demon-possessed man tells Jesus, don't send us to the bottomless pit? It's the same kind of thing. And so it's, it's sort of this picture of, of demonic activity that God keeps at bay um, and now is allowing to be opened. And, some, and, then, and then they go and they're allowed to attack the very people that worship them, right? Some suggest these are hybrid gross grasshoppers with scorpion, t- could, could well be, or some kind of military army. That's fine too. Um, But it seems quite clear from the context, these are demonic forces that are inflicting intense torment. Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? And that's what you've got going on here. Um, And both with the the locusts and sort of the demonic cavalry horde coming. Um, Those rebelling against God, they're tortured by the very evil that they worship. But the survivors take no warning from the trumpets, right? It shows the depravity in us as sinners. Every time Jesus is offering repentance, they reject Jesus and prefer to follow Satan. And so we're becoming like our idols. So, seven trumpets, a response from God to the prayers of the church, right? Calling for God to do something about the injustice in the world. Calls us to be aware of the tragedies in life that God does use the brokenness and disasters of our world to call people to repentance, even though lots of times people don't. And we'll get to that next week. Um, the judgments are serious, but they're also restrained. It's not full out yet. They're, they're escalating, but it's not. They're sort of a foretaste of final judgment when, when it's all going to be said and done when Jesus does return. Um, and the aim is to call people to repentance, right? That's what's going on. And so like my grandma's x-ray, we get sort of a spiritual x-ray here of the way that sin and idolatry and the enemy devour people who resist Jesus. But there is destruction spiritually down that path. And when I think of the Western world, of the States and Canada and Britain and so on, there's just sort of this continuance towards sort of a secular, sort of pagan idolatry in a lot of ways. Um, There's a growing resistance to Jesus. And then we see terrible tragedies striking. And we see people either repenting or continuing in resisting Jesus. And God is, brings those sorts of warnings to call people to repentance. And part of our task as the church is to point people to Jesus during those times and say, look it, we need to come back to God. And he calls us to grace, calls us to himself. God is giving them opportunity to repent. But notice, it doesn't really work. The plagues are not enough. The plagues are not enough to cause repentance. And so the question might be, if this doesn't stir the hearts of idolatrous people... What will? 
and, and you discover the surprising answer in chapters 10 and 11. We'll do that next week. But I want to end with this. What does Jesus say to us in this passage? And perhaps, perhaps the most hard-hitting question for us this morning is, are you resisting God? Or are you stuck in idolatry? And I mean, that might not look like you're actually sacrificing to a wooden statue somewhere. But have you made some other thing or ambition or relationship or person the Lord of your life? Is Jesus really Lord or not? And if that's you, God calls us to repent and to believe and to come to him today to make a fresh start. It's a powerful call to repentance. For us as Christians, if you're a Christian this morning, the passage calls us to see the power of prayer. But our prayers do matter, folks. There's also a call here, I think, to have compassion to those that don't know Jesus. A call to be emboldened for witness for our faith. To reach out to those who are lost, who don't know God. To call them, to invite them. It's all we can do, it's up to them. But we can call and invite them to repent and to believe. And it also, the passage also, gives us a reassurance that our true life and victory are not found in necessarily our country thriving and doing well. That stuff can get kind of pulled out from under us. But our true life and victory as believers is found in the finished work of Jesus. And even when issues in our world or structures and systems that seem so certain get pulled out from under us. And COVID's been a real kind of example of this, that, you know, the economy gets weird and countries get weird and the healthcare issue is always sort of present, that we can put our trust in a lot of those things. But those things are ultimately fleeting. And God calls us to put our trust ultimately in him so that no matter what kind of comes in our world, we rest in the assurance of who we are in Christ what he's done for us on the cross, and rest in the, in the assurance that he will see us through to the end. And if you remember last week when we talked about the martyrs under the throne, there's this, there's this, this emphasis that God is so aware that people are suffering for him, and, and there are more who will die for the faith. But in the end, he will see them through to life and resurrection and healing and wholeness, and we can have that assurance as well. So the big questions, there's three big questions that we talked about that the cycles deal with. The first one was, why do Christians suffer and, and when will that end? And the seals deal with that question. The second question was, what about the unrepentant nations? Will they ever be, come to repentance? And here we realize the plagues don't do it. And we'll talk about what does bring it about next week before we head into Advent. Can you believe it? And then the third question is, will God ultimately deal with evil? And we'll see that later on when we get to the dragon and the beast and God ultimately ending uh, the enemy once and for all, which is very exciting. Let's pray together as we head to the table. Lord, I thank you that you hold history in your hand, that you are good, that you will see things through to their completion. Lord, we recognize there's lots of ways that people have interpreted these passages over the centuries. But Lord, we want to keep our focus on the main thing, which is that you are on the throne. Lord, you've called us to yourself. Lord, you are at work drawing people to yourself. Your heart is for people to repent and to come to you.
But, Lord, the consequences of our actions are, are evident. There is a brokenness. There's a destruction that happens when we turn away from you, God, the source of life and truth, and seek something else. And it truly does kill us. It starts to eat us up inside. And, Lord, some of us this morning, we have been toying with sin, been toying with idolatry in our own hearts, even as believers. And, God, we just say this morning, we repent, Lord, of the ways in which we have sought other things in our lives above you. Lord, would you just shape our hearts this morning, shape our desires to be for you and for you alone. Pray that you would help us to make you first in our lives, God. And for that to just have a practical impact on how we go about our day, that we'd make time for you, Lord. And Lord, as we put you first, that the other areas in our life then shift into the right places, how we go about work and how we go about maybe our, our marriage or life with our family or whatever it might be. God, we, we pray that you would be first and foremost in our lives. Lord, we're so aware that when tragedy happens in the world, it's easy to be afraid. It's easy to put our trust in sort of the, the regular familiarity of things in our lives. Lord, you call us here to put our faith in you alone, to see the power of prayer, Lord, to, to move your heart. And your desire, God, to call people into repentance. And Lord, as your church, you've called us to be part of that mission, to be a people of prayer, to be a people of mission, to be a people that reach out to the broken and to the lost in our world and to point them to you, Jesus. And so this morning, God, that is our heart's cry as your church, that we would live wholeheartedly for you, that we would be faithful, God, even as things in the world take turns that are unexpected and strange and, for lack of a better word, just evil. God, we look to you. And we have assurance here, Lord, that these things don't surprise you. That when nations turn away from you, that doesn't mean it's the end. That you're at work, God. And so this morning, Lord, as we come to your table... We pray, Lord, that as we would come, and as we would take this bread and this cup, this would be a, a reaffirmation, Lord, that we love you, that it's by your death and resurrection that we are made alive and new and saved and forgiven. And Lord, this table is, is more than just remembering you. It's also the, the launch pad for mission. Because of what you've done, Jesus, you now send us out be a light, to be salt, to make a difference in our world. So, Lord, would you come? Meet us in this moment, we pray. Thank you, Lord, that you gave your life so that none would perish but come into everlasting life through you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.